I'm now in my 30th year working to restore nature in forests and on farms, mostly across the north of England. 30 years ago, I left the city and my old job behind. I hung up my suit and tie and went off to plant trees. It's a decision I've never regretted. I'm Pete Leeson. Welcome to Series 2 of Tree Amble Podcast. This is a podcast about people and farming and trees and nature and how we could all do much better. Welcome back to Triamble Podcast. If you remember, we did a special on the rainforest in Scotland. And today's interview is with Alistair and Sam. And they manage a croft in the zone of the Scottish rainforest on the West Coast. It was, it was lovely to see them on their croft, talking about the animals they're managing. But as you get into the interview, you'll realise just what passionate people they both are and how knowledgeable Alistair is about all the things about the rainforest and the lichens and the mosses and everything else. Um, it was a joy. I couldn't keep up um, intellectually on this one. Alistair's just got such a bundle of stuff inside his head and I hope we got some of it down for you. Enjoy. I've come to Morven to see Alistair and Sam on their croft. And Alistair is with me by a gate, chewing the cud with this beautiful, what is she? She is half island and half Whitbread shorthorn. So she's like a ling, but she's not pedigree. A ling, a ling are the kind of, the red ones that you see quite a lot, but these ones were cheaper because they're not pedigree. <laughs> okay. So Sam and I run a croft. He said it's only one of three on Morven. There's five crofts. There's only three crofters. Okay. And one of them is a tenant, and there's two other owner occupiers. So a croft is a piece of land that has kind of secure tenure, but it can also be owned by the, the crofter. So we're both a landlord and the tenant crofters. So crofting has a particular uh, association with, with Scotland, doesn't it? Where, where, where does crofting come from? It's a, it's, a, it's a system that's kind of designed to support the local... Um, it's both the culture and the, the economy. So it's in the west of Scotland, in the crofting counties, where there's usually a, a, a number of crofts close together, often with a a common grazing, so they have they share resources. But um, Morven's a little bit different because the crofts are a bit bigger and there's not many of them. And I don't know what exactly, why exactly that is, but it's just, it's kind of one of the, it's part of the diversity of crofting. Is that there's a lot of different things that happen within crofting. So croft, like most people might think it's a house, but it isn't the house, it's the land around the house. And it, it's a system that was set up, I suppose, was it for, for the poorer end of society originally? Was it 
a food production thing? What was what's the genesis of it? I don't know enough about it to to know why it was set up, um, but it was driven by the the people who who were working the land and didn't have secure tenancy. And I think the the way it happened was that there was a, there was enough um, legal support to change the system that that those tenancies or they might have even already been crofts, but they became legalised. So there's, there was enough pressure for that to happen because otherwise people would have been pushed off the land. Mm. And, you know, it's all the legacy of the clearances. So a lot of the West Highlands was cleared and the people were moved from the land, to the productive parts of the land, to the unproductive parts so that the productive parts could be used for sheep farming and then later for deer. So this croft is, you said, about 140 acres? Yeah, it's about 140 acres of land. And within that, a lot of it is woodland, some of it is marsh, some of it is bog. And the, then there's the in-by fields and a bit of the hill ground. Um, I don't know how much that is, maybe 30, 30 or 40 acres of grazable land. Of which you have how much stock? Um, there's, there's, this herd is nine, nine cows and, and followers and the bull. And then there's now about 18 sheep there. Mm-hmm. And then there's, the, there's deer on the croft. I, I don't know if you count them in the total. There's probably, we shot 17 hinds last winter before last, and then we shot about six stags. So there's quite a lot of other mouths as well. The deer story is not necessarily a particularly um, comfortable one, is it, for you? Yeah, the deer is a bit tricky because we're kind of... What we want to do is to recover from what happened to the land before. So um, the the land here was very heavily grazed, which meant that the woodlands have not regenerated. And they've kind of retreated and there's been, there's been a bit of quite a lot of woodland loss as well over the years. So to try and reverse that trend and to get some regeneration and in fact just to kind of diversify the the, the whole the whole communities here. Like we've got a, gr- a green field and then we've got trees on the edge of it and there's no scrub or anything around that. So to get some of those really valuable transitional habitats back, we so needed to reduce habitat. Yeah, the edge, the um the serial progression from one thing to another. So we needed to reduce the, the headage, really, the impacts, at least. And the deer are harder to control than the, the livestock because they, they come on and off. So we, can't, we don't have control over them all the time. Only, we only have control when they're on the croft in the, in the season when we can shoot them. So we can shoot stags all year round, but we can't shoot the hinds. Mm. We don't shoot hinds after... April really, when because the, they're pregnant then, and we don't, well, we don't shoot, we don't shoot mothers. We shoot calves before mothers, and then kind of if we're trying to take out the deer, we try and take out the whole family group, because right. that's otherwise we leave deer wandering around. <laughs> so yeah. it seems a bit extreme, but um, yeah, we shot three family groups. So John shot three family groups. And that's how we 
we um, managed to shoot 17, otherwise we'd have only shot 10 or 5. I'd like to come back to the deer issue because I think, I think the history of deer here is, is relatively recent in terms of the large numbers that we have now. Um, but let's park that for the moment. Your cattle are wearing collars. What's, what's that? Yeah, they're no fence collars. So the fences when we got the croft were very bad and um, they, they, they weren't good enough to hold the stock on the croft. So they, they would be off to the next farm. Um, so partly we got the collars to hold them on the croft and partly we got them to hold them on the parts of the croft where we wanted the more grazing and so that they didn't go on to the parts where we wanted less grazing. Yeah. So basically the, the sim- the, in simple terms the model is that they graze on the hill and on the shore mostly through the winter and they graze on the inby in the summer. And the inby is the bit that's nearest the house? The inby is now. the kind of these are all semi-improved fields, so they had a lot of lime and fertilisers put them on them in the past. So they're semi-improved and they're contained by a fence, mostly, even though the fence has got quite a lot of holes in it. <laughs> and only the adults have got the collars on, and presumably the youngsters follow them. Yeah, the adults have got collars on because it takes about three months to get a crofting grant to get a collar. So right. when we realised, like about Christmas time that we needed collars for the calves because they were wandering off on their own. We, we ordered the collars then, so they, <laughs> ideally they would have collars on as well. Okay. But um, that will come, and then... So the field's down there. Well, that's our hay field. The f- next field down there is the hay field. So at the moment, there's no fence between the hay field and the in-by field, so we've got another electric fence. Um, but if we were... So now the problem is that we have a mixture of fences and no fence and if the calves go off and they haven't got a collar on they'll go one side of the fence okay and everything will get mixed up and the, the calves <laughs> the cows will then go through the fence and the calves will go into the fence so you i think it's either no fence it's kind of better without any fences and that also doesn't work with sheep because we haven't got any with the sheep, on the sheep so yeah yeah so the sheep are um just in the lambing park at the moment and we can't really let them out beyond this other in-by field and then they've got a, they've got another park on the hill so this is kind of a five hectare field there so there's quite a lot of juggling on a on a, on a small acreage juggling at the moment and that is that because your infrastructure just isn't up to it yet or because we don't know what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> learning the ropes yeah. as always um, no the part of it is that we we're trying to we are learning the ropes but also the the way the stock kind of works the land they're working it out for themselves so um because the fields are quite big and we can leave all the gates open we're finding out where they go and how long they basically how long they want to graze in a field before they move on to the next one and then seeing what that does to the land so we're looking at this field and it's got uh-huh. lots of dockens and, and thistles in it. Yep. Um, what happened here was that the when we first had the croft there were no stock on it, but it had had been really grazed for about 30 years with a lot of sheep on it. And at various points I think there'd been kind of disturbance in this field. So And then there was drains and the drains got blocked. And when we took the stock off, we took all the sheep off when we got the crop. Well, Tim took them away with him. And um, 
So we had no stock for a while. And then everything just kind of grew up very quickly. So we've got lots of docks and lots of thistles and lots of nettles. And um, we could, what we could do is put lots, of, lots more grazing on mm-hmm. and that would, that would get rid of them. But at the same time, we kind of want to release the grass to grow a bit. But at the moment, that means that we're getting a lot of the, the other weedy things taking over. And you're not going to use chemicals? Yeah, we don't we don't use any chemicals. We're not certified organic, but we well we say so we don't use any chemicals. We do use some chemicals for treating the the stock for lice and things. Um, but I think it all would fall within the organic parameters. But the cost of organic certification is too much, mm. so we won't do that unless we find a way to <laughs> subsidise it. So you're trying to manage the land with the animals have you got a system where the cattle follow the sheep or the sheep follow the cattle no nope no we the cattle go in the woods but the sheep don't go in the woods okay. it's a bit bit more simple well part of the one of the inbinds has got woodland in it but mostly the sheep just stay in the pastures whereas the cattle go through the woods through the shore and they, the, so the cattle are kind of a, a woodland management tool as well. So we try and use the cattle to break up the ground a bit in the woods. And that helps with getting regeneration, in so, theory. Okay, so tell me about the woodland, because there's a large chunk I'll, of I'll this I'll have to crop. show you the woodland before I tell you about it. <laughs> okay. So one of the things about the way these hazels are growing is that there's a lot... This is the, the Graphidian lichen community, mm-hmm. smooth, smooth lichens on hazel bark. Um, one of the ways the, the hazels here are growing is there's a lot of light coming into the woodland, partly because of the grazing through the, the understory. It doesn't get too thick, so you don't get too many stems coming up, and that's exactly the right conditions where you get this endemic. Scottish, it only grows in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Fissarina albiscripta, a white script lichen. And I mean, there's, there's lots of other smooth bark lichens here. Um, but the really high quality habitat has this in it as well. And that's what we have here. Um, but this hasn't, I mean, this probably hasn't always been hazelwood. I mean, hazels have moved around. Mm-hmm. There's always been hazelwood somewhere around here, but maybe not in this exact spot. So, yeah, we need a bit of regeneration. Right. So Alistair's brought me down to the bottom, the sort of marshy, boggy bit by the sea, and just up from that is this fantastic hazel coppice. It's not a coppice. I say coppice. Cops. It's, um, it's not even that. What is it's it? A, it's a woodland, but it's just very small, <laughs> with lots of stems. Um, it's a hazel wood, I would say. Um, and that, it's, it's a natural woodland. It's grown without being planted or interfered with. And it might even have been scrub. In fact, if we go further down, you'll mm. see some okay. developing. So part of one of the aspirations for the croft is it grows food, but it also regenerates, manages well looks after yeah i mean it, this. it wouldn't have to grow food if it if there was another way for it to pay for itself 
Right. So one of the reasons we have to stock is that otherwise we can't find a way for the land to pay anything. I mean, we could plant it over trees and that might give us some money, but then we'd probably lose the other aspects of the, the kind of the native woodland interest. And you wouldn't necessarily, I mean, if this is going to regenerate itself, you wouldn't want to plant it anyway, would you? Yeah, I mean, that bit up there where the cows are, the green grassy fields, that's not going to regenerate itself quickly. No. It's, um, the soil isn't right and it's been too changed over the time. Whereas down here, in fact, this was kind of not very grazed very much because it's quite kind of, it's not such good quality land. But here we've got everything happening that you could possibly want. But you do put your cattle through here? Yeah, they come through here maybe for a week in the year. So that dynamic process helps to re-establish some of these species? Um, or is it just knocking them about a bit? Here, like, so we just see these bog myrtle here. Yep. You can see that it's been browsed on the edge. Mm -hmm. and then, but as you go in, there's less browsing and then those bits are not browsed. And beyond the, the browse fringe, then that's where the hazels start to grow up. And there's even rowan in there growing up. So the, um, the browsing, the and there's deer in here as well. There's yep. a few deer come through here. But there's enough kind of bulk in the bulk biomass that even with a few grazing mowers and browsing, there's enough that the trees are coming through. But that, this is kind of what we would want to get to on the rest of the croft. But I think one of the reasons why it's like this is that you started off with a higher diversity of species. There's, there was a lot of bog myrtle. Um, but you're using the cattle grazing to drive high quality this bit, not so much. This no. bit, we wouldn't keep the cattle in for very long. But the bit, just a bit further up, because we've got the control with the no fence. Mm -hmm. So within about 50 metres of here, we can say there's a fence there and the cows don't come down to this bit for, okay. for very long. Whereas they keep that bit open. And then we've got some wildflower meadows over there, where we also kind of try and target grazing on them, but at the same time as having woodland right next door. So it's kind of... Um, the herd management is to do with the the outcomes and it's not necessarily woodland but it's a uh, an outcome that would be kind of biodiversity orientated so we're still in what i would say is it's kind of young regenerating woodland it's got willow and birch and and hazel and it's got this bog myrtle on the edge of it but there's also plenty of open space would you call it scrub well i would call it scrub yeah 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 so it's it's, it's kind of like, I call that mature hazel woodland, even yeah. though it's not much taller than this. Yeah. But this would be scrub, because it's, um, it's in, a, in a progressive phase, it's changing. See, I, I like scrub. I'm, yeah. I'm a scrub nut, really. I love scrub. Yeah. Partly because you can get there relatively quickly. And, and actually, in the grant schemes that we've had in Cumbria, where we've done this kind of stuff, we've seen really positive benefits from this. It takes longer to get to woodland. Yeah, so, but most grant schemes go straight from open ground to woodland. They call it woodland creation, so they don't go through that scrub phase. And I love and, the scrub phase. The scrub I think phase it's the most the thing, important yeah, bit. The scrub phase is the really high biodiversity phase, where you've got all the different niches for birds. We've got lots, lots of birds in here. Um, well, the bird song here is phenomenal. Here. Yeah, you've got white throats. Yeah, white throats, yeah, willow warblers. And here are the willow warblers. I was listening to a cuckoo earlier yeah. today in scrub, just like this, presumably because the willow yeah. warblers are there. 
maybe it's one over on Mulne, but you can hear it. You can hear all the way to Mulne from here. Right. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get at is is you're farming animals, but you're also improving your woodlands. And I say improving in the widest context. Quality really is what you're aiming for, with these different structured layers of woodland through the croft. So we're down by the sea at the moment with scrub. We've got hazel woodland. And then we're going to go up into what is a, is, is, is rainforest, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is all rainforest. But we're going there first. Okay. That's proper rainforest. This so is proper the rainforest. The other way of looking at it is that we're, to reverse that, basically we're, we're managing woodland, but we're using farmed animals to do it. Okay. So in the past, it would have been, I mean, going way back, this habitat must have existed for however long, tens of thousands of years. But in the past, it would have been um, wild animals doing it, but we're using domestic animals to do it. And because we've, we're kind of confined to a much smaller area than the whole of Morven or the whole of the West mm. Coast, we have to be much more targeted rather than just letting them go where they want. I think that's maybe the main difference okay. is that we're, um, yeah, we're keeping them on a much smaller area than they really want to be on. And that is with probably a tenth of the density of most farms. Mm. Okay. So you're quite unique then, really? I don't know if we're <laughs> unique. There's probably other places doing similar things, but um, we're definitely... Um, the, maybe the unique thing is that I didn't really have a plan, but <laughs> <laughs> I tried to write down a plan, but it wasn't happening. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's been a bit of a problem because everybody wants you to have a plan before they give you any mm. money <laughs> to mm. do anything. Mm. So, but yeah. From my standpoint, and I've walked, I've spent the last three, three days walking over Morven and walked over lots and lots of Cumbria, and this bit that I've stood in now with you is joyful because this is this to me is 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 the bit we're missing in most yeah, of the landscape. Yeah. Wait until you see the next bit. Right, let's go, let's go. So we'll tell me, the, what, what's... Over, over the little, so this is the Viking Harbour. Ah, oh, the Viking Harbour. Well, we call it a Viking Harbour. Right. It's a Viking <laughs> but it's just the right size to fit a longboat in it. So one of the things I've come to Scotland to talk about is rainforest. Because we, we have uh, quite a lot of discussion at the moment about rainforest. So these are temperate rainforests, yeah. a habitat which the west coast of Scotland is perfectly suited to. Yeah, not just temperate rainforests, but coastal temperate rainforests, which is probably even rarer okay. than temperate rainforests. You get montane or kind of inland temperate rainforest as well. But um, go around there a bit. The, um, so we're just walking some through. Some differences with coastal temperate rainforests in that. There's um, a lot of maritime influence beyond the temperature and the, the, the there's the humidity. So the, you've got a huge bath of water sitting right next to the land. So the temperature doesn't go up and down so much, but you also get a lot of humidity. And for the west coast, these are otter paths, by the way. Um, oh, the otter paths. Okay. Right. Well, we follow this otter path. Yeah. <laughs> so Viking Harbour, otter paths. Because the, Maritime um, rainforest. Yeah, the, the, air is, the air mass is all coming from the west, or the majority, the prevailing wind is coming from the southwest, which means that most sources of pollution are on the other side of the Atlantic. 
So the air we get here is really clean. It's come all the way across the Atlantic. So as well as being moist, it hasn't got pollutants in it, which is why we get this amazing amount of lichens. Now, this is utterly stunning. Utterly, utterly stunning. Um, I'm slightly concerned about where I'm standing because, in fact, can you hold the microphone and don't, yeah, yeah. don't joggle it around? Um, I'm going to take a photograph. This is a mixture of primroses and bluebells and uh, oxalis and stitchwort. Uh, it's just, it's uh, the most stunning picture. Yeah. This is, um, this is proper rainforest. So this is, this is what I'd call hazel, Atlantic hazelwood. It's a, uh, I, I don't know if we've, we've come to a consensus on how you categorise rainforest, but if there was a scale of good rainforest to not so good rainforest, yeah. this would be, <laughs> this would be at the top of the, the good rainforest scale. Like R1, and um, okay. The, the this these are the this is a different lichen community from the one we saw earlier. This is the Labarian community, so it's got quite a lot of different Labarian species in here. And because it's been wet today, everything's really bright. So some these would be grey yesterday. They've already turned well, green. Well, it was interesting because I was looking um, somewhere else, a couple of miles up the road, three miles up the road this morning, and it. They were still stressed by the dry yeah. period this morning and the epiphytes were all a bit saggy and some were quite brown actually. And you're right, within, within the day these are greened up. Yeah. Uh, this forest you're talking about is, is what, it's only five metres high. Yeah. Um, most people would say, oh, it's just, a, it's just a wee few When you look at it from hazels. outside it just doesn't look like anything. And then when you come inside it, you're right inside the organism, it's all one. It feels like it's one organism, and you're in it, like the lungs of it. You're breathing the air that it's breathing. This is Tolkien-esque. Um, of all the places I've been in, in, in many years, this is, this is one of the most stunning, actually. Yeah, it's and it's a... one species of tree. We talk about monocultures yeah. in a bad way. So I talk it's about Sitka spruce yeah. and say, well, God, it's bloody awful, all these monocultures, because they, they tend to be very species poor. We've actually got one species of tree here, but on it... In it and under it, yeah, are multiple species going on. Yeah, but, but these are when they're probably you say one species of tree. There, there might even be only one tree in this bit. That might all be one tree. Okay. So, the um, you know the way hazel develops with that, um, it's kind of self-coppicing. It it loses its its in its kind of middle bit and then moves out a bit, a bit like a fairy ring. Mm -hmm. So um, we have got. Well, maybe three or four trees and maybe just one, but that, that definitely could be one big old hazel that's mm. split into many different separated stems. Awesome. Um, thank you for bringing me here. Yeah. <laughs> this is really we'll special. Go through, we'll go through here. Actually, there's some, some other trees in here. But, you know, some years, this place is just completely blue and there isn't any stitch for or the... I mean, there is some stitch work, but some years there's like three times as many bluebells as this year. Right. But it's quite nice to see that it's different every year. So this isn't, this isn't a bluebell year, but there's still 
Yeah, they're still bluebells. It was an amazing year for primroses. Just tons of primroses and um, selling dimes and all that. So just coming back to your animals, would you would you let your cattle in here? Um, they've never actually been put here deliberately, but they have been in here. Right. They found their way in a couple of times. Um, and would that be a problem to you? No, it's not, it's not a problem if they're not doing damage. So like we were just looking at, the, I mean, the deer come in here quite a bit. This is a deer park. Okay, yep. And um, you can see the browse on the... The browse on, on the there, yeah. Okay. There, but that's not been browsed this winter. That was browsed the year before. So this is the it's bottom of the browse. hazel. The main stem has got these smaller stems coming up and sort of basal growth and it's been nibbled around the edges of it but not all of them have been nibbled. No, and it may be that we've got a bit low on the browsing so we might want to put them in to make sure that this old stem here, mm -hmm. so what happens is that the hazel will start putting more, more of its root strength into the other stems mm -hmm. and then, then it takes it away from the big stem. That's kind of a logical development. But the big stem is where these labaria Yeah. Exactly, are, are so placed. we want to make sure that we're keeping some of the big stems, even if we're losing a few over time, that um, some of them remain. So we might put the, um, the cows in and then they'll, they'll break a bit of that off. So, right time of the year, because they, yeah, this, this is where if they, if they went in now, they'd just eat the grass, so they wouldn't yeah. even touch that. Right. So this is, it, this, it all becomes more and more complex. Yeah. I mean, it's simple in a sense, isn't it? Cows go in the wood occasionally, they do a bit of dynamic damage and you get them out. But timing's critical, Yeah. numbers are critical. I wouldn't want to see any sheep in here, Yeah. I'd, I'd be happy with the odd cow. But you see, it also depends on the cow. Some, we've got one cow that really loves eating trees. Um, <laughs> right. she'll, she'll eat the trees before any of the others. So it depends even on the individual animal. Right. And then there's some of the cows that we got to begin with that were polled, they didn't have horns, whereas... The ones that we've kept have now got horns, so they will also interact differently. They'll use their horns to break up bits of the woodland. So there's even that to think about. And then if we're thinking about what the cows bring in with them, all the... Dunging and everything Yeah, the else, dunging, yeah. The, the microbes and everything. Um, we definitely wouldn't put the cows in here after we treated them for something like... So we, we don't treat them for... We've never treated them... We treat them when they're heifers for um, for fluke, but we never we don't treat them apart from when they're showing signs of mm. it. But we wouldn't put them in here after any treatment. They would keep them on. So the, you'd we'd leave keep that, them in what, the three months or something until it's worked through. At least a month. At least a month. Okay. Yeah. And this is this is one of the things which I have yeah. a problem with modern farming is that the, the the that always going for the chemical first. Yeah. Um, and often it's just given periodically because that's how we do things rather than thinking about that and then thinking about what happens next yeah because you're then taking that chemical it's pooed out the back of the cow and it's plopped on the ground so yeah when we're thinking about the animal welfare we're thinking about how the the welfare of the land and the animal interact with each other so it's not just about the animal being big and round and strong through the middle of the winter the animals are going to lose condition through the winter and we we understand that and we try and give them, so we supplement their feed because otherwise there isn't enough. We haven't got enough area of open land grazing. Mm -hmm. But they're wandering around all winter. And um, and we know that that is, over time, they also learn, their bodies learn that they're going to 
have to find better forage in the winter. They find other forage other than the good grass on the nearby yeah. fields, and their bodies learn that. So they kind of, hopefully, they, the, in the longer term, they also teach their offspring yeah. that. <clears throat> so... Well, we've seen that Kingsdale Head in, in Yorkshire where we where the, the first cattle to arrive were youngsters. They didn't know what to do. It, yeah. took, it took the elder mums to arrive later on for them to start to venture out of, uh-huh. out of the lower fields into the upper fields. And that was definitely a learning thing. Yeah. The older cattle were, talk, were talking to the younger cattle and showing them where they could go and what they could eat. The younger cows didn't inherently know that. Yeah. So there is a learning process there. Yeah, sometimes I think we're probably too controlling of where where we put them because yeah. maybe they would just sort it out for themselves and and go into the the bits that we actually want to protect. But but losing control of yeah. that, I mean the control thing. This is such a gorgeous woodland. Yeah, <laughs> no. to get this trashed right. would be would be horrendous, yeah. wouldn't it? I mean, I have I have rarely rarely been anywhere better in terms of woodlands. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll show you some other bits. So let's go and to some other goods. Now we've seen the good examples, we can, we can more comfortably look at some of the not so good ones. So we've come over the hill to the back of the, back of the croft. Yeah, cool, Glen. We saw maritime rainforest right down by the coast. Yeah. We walked over some, some low-lying heath with scabious and, well, it will be scabious when it comes out, but some heather in there. We walked up through Alder. We found Elm. We walked into Oak Hazel Forest. We then walked back into grazing land, up the hill, some regeneration areas you're doing, over the hill into, what's this oak? This is yeah, kind of your high forest, high forest yeah. here. And behind us is a bog, which you say in summer is full of dragonflies. Yeah. You've got the lot here, haven't you? This is a fantastic collection. And plantation. And Conoth behind, yeah. Yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> but this is held in stasis a wee bit. I know you're trying to get your animals to manage this, but it's, yeah. it's the deer problem, isn't it, that you've got? So the deer come through the gap in the fence just over there and straight onto this part of the croft. So we get quite high deer impacts over here. Um, there's lots of trees in the ground, so you've got lots of yeah, there's trees under birch the and, and hazel and things like that, but they're all, they're all eaten back, aren't they? Yeah. There's even um, rose and other little scrubby, shrubby, thorny things in here. So, so this is trying to be woodland, but it's held back. Yeah, so, so. But the deer are interesting. Well, you said there wasn't... Was there no deer here 200 years ago? Was that? I think there was probably very rarely any deer in Morven. They were basically shot as soon as they came here for the pot. By the crofters, and then they only then once they kind of after the clearances, which is kind of mid early mid 18th century onwards, when the when the people were replaced by sheep, mm-hmm. then gradually the deer numbers rose until they were it was viable to have a a kind of a sport stalking model for the estates in Morven, and. Since then, there's probably been at least there's been a few thousand red deer in Morven, with probably a few hundred roe as well. Ever since then, and then numbers have gone up, especially since the 1970s, they've gone up more and more. So almost as the people de- declined, so what the population here? Yeah, two and a uh, half thousand or something. So they, I mean, the croft was they were they were 
doing crops on the Imbai in the 50s or 60s. So there were no deer then. There were mm. no deer on the croft. No living deer on the croft, I should say. But the population of Morven was... Oh, well, the population of Morven peaked in around 1870, I think, and, and has declined. And what's quite, it now about? Like tenfold. So, right. yeah, we're on, we're on a very low number compared to what we were. And the people that are here are obviously not out as much on the land as the people would have been a couple of hundred years ago. So there's also a lot of less disturbance of any deer that are here. So deer for you on your croft is an issue? Deer are an issue in that they eat stuff. But, <laughs> I mean, if we didn't have the deer, we wouldn't be able to eat the deer either. So okay. another, we will be kind of transitioning from venison to beef and lamb as our main food yeah. sources from the croft. But you've had to deer fence off your vegetable patch. Yeah. You want to deer fence off some of these areas of wood and to regenerate them. We want to deer fence off all the top of the croft. So not just the, the woodland, but the, the grassland and the intermediate habitats. So we've got control over the, the browsing. Um, yeah, even the, the wildflower meadows and that kind of habitat, you need to have a bit of control over when they're browsed, when they're grazed. Uh, so that partly it's a, num- it's, a, it's a numbers game, but it's also a timing issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So mo- most of the deer are on in the winter, and then through the summer they find bits of better grazing up in the forest, um, because they're, in the winter they've already eaten all that, so they have to find new stuff. We're just walking steeply back down again, and we are in, effectively, high forest oak woodland, and it's covered, Alistair will tell me what with... <laughs> But well, this is north, north facing, so the, the north sides of the trees have got a lot of different species of mosses and liverworts on them. Big cushion. Yeah, the, the brown ones are the um, frulanias, so a liverwort, and then you've got lots of different species of moss there in the cushion. And there's ivy and, and polypody ferns and other epiphytes in there. And the polypidae are looking a little bit brown, some of them, because you haven't had that yeah. much rain, have you? So It takes them a while to unfurl again. Yeah, this is the old, I think this is the old drove road, or the old high road, to the um, to another settlement through there. Mm-hmm. And all these little open parts of the woodland have got fields in them, old lazy beds, so you can again see that there was a lot of people here. And these trees are not that old, so... Who knows where, what this would look like 200 years ago, but most of these trees are about that age. Yep. So maybe there was some wholesale replacement going on, one thing with another. So this croft is a mixed bag. You've got woodlands, but you've also got animals. Mm-hmm. And the animals are here partly for the economics of the croft, but also they drive your outcomes, is that right? Yeah, so our our main aim for the croft is biodiversity. And at the moment, the, the economics is, is... I mean, we're lucky, we've both got full-time... Well, 
not I've not got full time, but part time. I've got part time work, and Al's got full time work. That means that we can live here and yeah. and do the craft as well. So um, yeah, our primary aim for the craft is biodiversity because it's such a special place. And then we actually need the animals to manage the land. Um, so it's almost like a byproduct of our aim for biodiversity is that we have the cows. Um, they're really important. We do need some grazing. They churn up the land. Um, we can control them. And then a byproduct of that will be meat. Yeah. Um, and already people are interested in buying, people have already said to me, they're interested in buying meat that is conservation meat, particularly, you know, we could even potentially sell it as meat that's about cons- conserving rainforest, you know, mm. um, which is which is what we're doing. And... And another side of that is is actually seeing the cows in different environments than you're used to seeing them in. So, um, you know, rather than flat fields, our cows are kind of walking through steep woodlands and yeah. and and. But it's it's cows specifically that do that job, isn't it? The sheep are not. Are not no, able no, to do that same job, no. The, right? sh- the the sheep. I think the sheep were a bit of an experiment. We wanted to have a sense of what it was to keep sheep, especially because there is a tradition of keeping sheep here. Yeah. And, and I think it was a way of connecting with other crofters and with the kind of some of the history of of the place. Although I'm sure you've talked about this with Alistair, that the history of sheep being here, you know, isn't mm. it doesn't go back that far. So but also we we both like lamb. And eating lamb, so and we got the opportunity to have some sheep. So um, some someone we there was a friend of a friend who who needed to sell nine sheep. So we have nine sheep. Mm. Sorry, that's me. My phone. I'll turn that to silent. Um, and we've just had, we've just had a load of, we've just had nine lambs from six sheep so far. We're in the middle of lambing at the moment. Mm. Our first ever lambing. So, nice. but yeah, no, the cat, the cows are. Uh, the, the prime they're, they're going to do the the main work on the croft you know in yeah. terms of in terms of land management and and we have no fence collars I don't know if you know about yes. no fence collars sure yeah. Is, yeah yeah so they're going to help enormously as well and it means we can control where they go and how long they go and I think if we're good at keeping records as well really it'll be really interesting to see how much grazing you know, it has a positive impact and where it tips over into too much grazing and, um, yeah, it's, it's... Yeah, and ideally we'd take out all the fences. Yeah. So that they could then more or less decide... It would be interesting to see where they want to go mm-hmm. and then compare that to where we want them to go. And that starts blurring the boundaries as well between woodland and pasture a little bit. Um, sorry, that's the cat now as well. Um, <laughs> so, so, so that I think if the cows... If the cows are going in and out of the woodland in lo- in multiple places, then then our our hunch is that actually that's going to encourage the expansion of the woodland um, um, by taking out the fences and allowing this kind of drift in and out. You know, um, so we'll see. So there's two or three things there. One is just the number of animals. So obviously, if there's too many animals, then the woodland's going to recede. Mm-hmm. So it's getting the number, the back that balance right, yeah. isn't it? And the other side is the animal welfare. Yeah. Is where they where they're most naturally happy. Yeah. And contented. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it it was interesting this winter. This winter we um, tried to only feed them uh, when they really when we felt they really needed feeding and only feed them what we'd um, we actually used scythes during the summer and scythed and made hay. 
um, ourselves during the summer women. And so they, they were feeding hay from, being fed hay from the croft. And I mean, it, it, I think it will take a few few years to get the balance right. Mm. But but I already I came out of winter and it was a long winter and it's been cold for a very long time. I came up winter feeling like we're maybe already overstocked, actually. Right. Yeah, that yeah. we need to have one or two less cows. I don't know if you felt that. Um, so the aim, the aim really is for this, the, the, the croft to be entirely self-perpetuating in a sense. It yeah. has enough grass, has enough fodder on it to yeah. have those animals. Those animals yeah. It has more than enough. So that part of what it's producing is going directly back into it. Yeah. Okay. So... Thanks very much, both of you, for hosting me. Uh, it's been a fantastic trip to come and see you. It's an awesome place. You have woofers, I think, that are here helping in the summer, don't you? Yeah, they're coming in about three weeks' time. We've got several volunteers coming, which is always it's great for us. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that they think they have a good time <laughs> yeah. too. So, yeah, we have several at once, and we get a load of bracken management done. Or, cool compost bins built so community is yeah. also part of one of your own totally things. totally and and i came to the highlands as a woofer yeah. um and so i have this idea that if it brought me here and in fact there's another uh one of my friends came to the highlands as a woofer as well if it brought us here then maybe it's our way of of doing a little okay. bit of re, repopulation you know and that maybe some of the people that come and stay here will also stay you know and that's our that's our ideal yeah well, it's been great to meet you both. You Thank too. You very much indeed. Thank you. There's some people you meet that just calm you down, bring you back down to ground, and just express something about uh, their place in nature which grounds you. It was lovely to see these two guys on. Just a beautiful patch of land looking out uh, to sea. And uh, I came away from this interview thinking, OK, I'm much more grounded. I'm feeling happy about this. And uh, so it was a lovely place to be. And thanks very much for the time that Alistair and Sam spent with me. Next week, we go back to Yorkshire. Chris, Neve, and I met, oh, it must be 20 years ago now. And uh, we did some fantastic work in Yorkshire. Chris is still out there doing new things every year and I love catching up with him from time to time. You've been listening to the Tree Amble podcast, written and produced by myself, Pete Leeson. My special thanks go to Pete Ord for his awesome production and mixing skills. And actually, Pete and Pete, both of us, we wrote the music, so thanks very much to Pete for his input there. The recording was on location with mixing and production at the studio at Sunbeams part of the Annie Mawson Sunbeams Music Trust. Thanks also to all those lovely people who were interviewed, Simon Wakefield for the artwork, and my special thanks go to those who gave me the confidence and support to make this happen. Angela, Anne, Catherine, Tim, Tim, Kevin, Emma, Nick and Paul. Thank you. Thank you.